A person's selfish desires aren't set against the spirit, and the spirit is set against one's selfish desires. They are opposed to each other. So you shouldn't do whatever you want to do. But if you are being led by the spirit, you aren't under the law. The actions that are produced by selfish motives are obvious, since they include sexual immorality, moral corruption, doing whatever feels good to you, idolatry, drug use, casting spells, hate, fighting, um, obsession, losing your temper, competitive, opposition, conflict, selfishness, group rivalry, jealousy, drunkenness, partying, and other things like that. I warn you, as I have warned you, that those who do these kinds of things won't inherit God's kingdom. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against things like this. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the self with its passions and its desires. If we live by the Spirit, let's follow the Spirit. Let's not become arrogant, make each other angry, or be jealous of each other. This is the Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Um, so by now, you have probably uh, seen an image on Facebook or elsewhere in email um, for our current sermon series, and that image may invoke a reaction in you. You may be like me, um, a pretty big fan of The Handmaid's Tale, and you are so intrigued uh, by how in the world we're going to make this series about The Handmaid's Tale and about God. And um, Or you may be thinking, um, The Handmaid's Tale, I've heard of it, I know it's a show on Netflix, I don't watch it. And, and you may, and may be dismissing it in your mind already that, well, how am I going to connect with this series if I don't watch The Handmaid's Tale? I'm, I'm not going to get any of the references. Um, or you may be thinking that we have some subversive idea in mind um, to get at some social issue um, that um, maybe that's not our, our, our goal either. Or maybe you understand that perhaps it can be thematic. Perhaps what The Handmaid's Tale is about can help lead us into scripture, and scripture will be the story at heart, not The Handmaid's Tale. But to give you a little history, um, The Handmaid's Tale uh, is this dystopian novel by the author Margaret Atwood, and it was published in the 1980s, and it's set in the near future New England in this totalitarian state that overthrows the United States government. The novel focuses on the journey of one particular handmaid. Her name is Offred, and her name in this is made up of the two words of Fred. They do not allow her to have her own name. She's an unnamed woman, but her name is Offred of Fred. She's named from the male, the master, to whom she serves. The Handmaid's Tale explores themes of women and subjugation and a patriarchal society. Um, and the novel title actually is an ode to Geoffrey Chaucer, Chaucer's The Canterbury Tales. Um, I just said Geoffrey like 
um, Game of Thrones Joffrey. Yeah, that's totally okay. funny. That's hilarious. Je- Je- Jeffrey, thank you. I don't know why I said Joffrey. Um, but Jeffrey Chaucer's The Canterbury Tales. I've been watching too much Game of Thrones. Um, so if you've read The, the Canterbury Tales, that was made up of The Merchant's Tale, The Parson's Tale, and uh, Margaret Atwood, Atwood comes in and says, but what about these other tales we don't often tell? And she names her book The Handmaid's Tale. The Handmaid's Tale is structured kind of in two parts. This book, this classic novel from the 80s, and half of it is Offred's unique story, um, and then half of it is Offred's wonderings about the common experience of all handmaids. Maybe this is what life is like for all of us, all of us. And so this novel won tons, tons of awards um, throughout the 80s and 90s and the 2000s, and and it has been made into a 1990s film, and it's been made into an opera. Go look that up. Um, and it's been made into the most well-watched Netflix original show um, that you know of now, and you have this image in your head. And now, a small church in the corner of Kingstown, Virginia, is making it into a sermon series. <laughs> um, and last year, Margaret Atwood announced that this long-awaited sequel to The Handmaid's Tale would release this September, the exact time we begin our series, this September she is um, releasing this book that will be set 15 years after the story of The Handmaid's Tale, and she's calling it The Testaments. The Testaments is, this is a word you should know, right? And when have you heard this word, The Testaments? Could it be in the Bible? Have you heard really people use the word testaments anywhere else but to refer to the Bible? The Trader Joe's Mints. Oh, oh, the testaments. testaments. Ah, yes. That's amazing. That's amazing. But like, it's a church word. Like, this is a church word. This is a church word. This is a Bible word. Um, and Margaret Atwood was super thoughtful about using it to name her new book. She knew for her readers it would immediately bring to mind scripture. It would bring to mind the Old and New Testaments, filled with testaments or testimonies from a variety of key players and speakers and leaders. We know them, Abraham and Moses and Saul and David and Matthew, Mark and Luke and John. But hidden within those pages are also other stories, other testaments, not of chosen people or prominent people or leaders, but of people who who served these leaders, maybe, or who bore their children for them, or who even pleasured them, or were used by them. Stories of people who were dismissed and undervalued and considered worthless, but who have have a story to tell us, that have something important. Stories of handmaids and concubines and prostitutes and orphans and and widows and many unnamed women in the Bible who are ailing and hungry and pleading and faithful and persistent. In The Handmaid's Tale, you have the Offreds, the of Freds, the of Peters, the of Johns, and you have the Marthas in the kitchen in The Handmaid's Tale. But in the Bible, we have our own. We, in Scripture, have stories of the silenced. And in each of these stories, what echoes off the page is freedom. This call to freedom, this persistence in freedom. Freedom from captivity and silence, freedom 
to speak and, and to proclaim their own truth and their own calling, freedom for others who may also feel silenced. One of the most famous quotes in The Handmaid's Tale, this, this line that Offred uses is, freedom like everything else is relative. Margaret Atwood got that right. Throughout this series, we're going to investigate together what it might look like for us to experience the freedom of Jesus. This freedom described in Galatians 5 that we read today through the stories of the handmaid and the prostitute and the orphan and the widow and the broken and the sinful and the excluded. Did you hear it? Did you hear the, 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 the scripture this morning in Galatians? It said that it is for freedom that we have been set free. Well, duh. It, it, did you notice that, that choice of words? In the common English version, which we read, it said, Christ has set us free for freedom. For, for what? Freedom. What does freedom look like? This scripture goes on to give a list of actions that we are to abstain from jealousy and drunkenness and sleeping around and drug use and doing whatever feels good, as the common English version says. But it, we can't just read this list alone without reading what comes after it. It is for freedom that we are set free. We are set free for freedom. When you are freed from your demons and freed from your idols and freed from the things and people that hold you captive, what happens next? You are freed for love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and self-control. That famous fruit of the spirit passage comes immediately after this list of entanglements that we could read on, our, our, our own, on its own and think it's just this moralistic list it is for freedom that Christ sets us free, freedom for this wonderful life that God has for us. Freedom from what? Freedom for what? Freedom to do what? Freedom with whom? That's the question today. And so as we um, return to this song you might recognize we sang it um, during our series in in not lent in advent um, but this song is i am set free uh, i invite you to do something and Alyssa's going to demonstrate maybe you do it now maybe do it later maybe you just sing now but um, throughout the week i'm going to invite you into a spiritual practice between now our sabbath sunday and next sunday in the park lee district park september 8th um, where we kick off this series with a handmaid. Between now and then, I invite you into the spiritual practice to draw um, on a piece of paper, draw a line down the page and across the page so that you have four quadrants. Write in the top left quadrant, freedom from. Write in the top right quadrant, freedom for. Write in the bottom left, freedom to. Write in the bottom right, freedom with. And as we begin to, to explore this line, freedom, like everything else, is relative. I want you to explore that and this freedom for freedom's sake 
as, as Paul writes in Galatians, and think, what is God, what are you being called by God to be set free from? Write that down in that quadrant. Think through that. Thank you, Dana. <laughs> um, what are you being called to be set free from? How does that free you up for postures, ways of living? What are those things you desperately need to embody from that? Maybe a list of fruit of the spirit. What is that? What are you being set free for? What are you being set free to uniquely do? And how, so that how do you take those attributes and embody them? And then who are you being set free to be with? Because that's what relationship is about, right? That's what this call is about, that we are set free so that we can be able to be with others in a way we've never been before. So that's what your spiritual practice. Maybe you do it now. Maybe you've already got a piece of paper out um, or later, but let's sing as you reflect.
went on a silent retreat to a monastery in South Carolina. You might have heard me talk about this before, but um, like seriously, can you imagine me on a silent retreat? Uh, like, Brett? Yes. Totally. You can imagine Brett on a silent retreat. Alyssa? No. Not at all. No. Not zero. Zero percent chance you can imagine her. And for me, like it's unlikely. But I did. I did it. And it was pretty unbearable. <laughs> and I would spend, I spent, you know, most of the day on my own, reflecting under a tree or um, walking the grounds. But the part that was the absolute most unbearable of this was eating. When we got together to eat, we would move through the food line in complete silence. We would sit and eat together at the table in complete silence. And I, I can't stand that. Tables are meant for talking, right? By, by dinner on, the day, on day two, though, I started to notice something. I started to notice something. The silence of that began to set me free. At first, it started to set me free from my own incessant hearing myself speak thing, right? Um, but then it started to set me free for other things, it, mainly for listening, right? I was listening way more than I ever do. I'm not a particularly good listener. Sorry. Get a new pastor if you want. Uh, but I, I talk a lot. That's, that's how I'm made. And, but I started listening in a new way. Um, every little detail of life, every little detail of life felt so much louder and more bright, vibrant than it was when I was speaking all the time. And so the birds, they like, weren't just singing. These birds were like singing very particular melodies and different birds were making different sounds and it was like this entire ensemble of well-tuned, well-timed chirping that I had never even heard before. And when I took a bite of my apple at lunch, it was like an atomic bomb went off in my mouth, and I had never noticed that before. Have you ever paid attention to that sound in your mouth? And, and being free from speaking um, and being freed for listening, not speaking also led me to make better eye contact with people there. I couldn't speak to the woman across the table from me. But I could look at her in her eyes, which is maybe something I don't do while I'm speaking as much as I should. And in looking in her eyes, I, can, I start to notice a wisdom there that told a story without words. And in looking at her eyes, I saw some pain. I didn't know the whole story, but I could see it and I could read her through it. And this is how the stories of the Bible, this is how they are in Scripture, the stories of the silence have power and and possibly they introduce us to the freedom of Jesus freedom from freedom for freedom to freedom with and so this fall that's what we're that's what we're gonna be doing we're gonna be reading um, this list of handmaid's tales the handmaid's tale the prostitute's tale taking a page out of Chaucer and rewriting it like, like Atwood. Um, the unnamed woman with the problem of blood's tale, the unnamed woman at the, well, the well's tale, um, maybe like Margaret Atwood, renaming and rewriting Chaucer's famous tales, it will invite us into rewriting ours a bit so that we may be set free for and with others.
And so go now in the love of God our Father and the grace of his Son, Jesus Christ, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit to be set free. Amen. Remember this song, we just introduced it.